Hello, I'm Penelope Maver, and welcome back to the Earth Converse podcast, where we explore our relationship and conversations with the Earth, all in the hope of inspiring a deeper connection with ourselves, each other, and the Earth that is our home. If you're new here, welcome. This is our 50th episode. If you've been with us from the beginning, congratulations, you are on the 50th episode. An episode which will mark a milestone and bring together the previous episodes and leave you with a contemplation and a sacred pause. I was wondering what theme I would use to mark this milestone. And well, there it was. The month of May for many countries is about raising awareness around mental health. And in the UK, their Mental Health Week was themed around nature. So I'm going to build on the theme of hashtag connect with nature, the UK mental health hashtag, of going out to nature for our mental health benefits and to go beyond that, to go into a wider vision, a wider vision shared by so many others, including my Earth Converse podcast guests, particularly Bill Plotkin's writings. And to do that, I springboard off American Buddhist teacher Jack Cornfield, who said, Quietening our mind is a political act. Just sit with that for a moment. My proposition is naturing our mind is a political act. Now, what does that invoke in you? I'm going to explain what I mean by that, by naturing our minds as a political act. I haven't got my ideas clear, but I'm just putting them out there. <laughs> and, and also ideas about how we can go about doing that. So in this 50th episode, I'm inviting you to contemplate this concept. I will bring in some of the messages and contributors of the podcast so far as a way of celebrating them and where the podcast has got to. And I will also give a shout out to some others, including podcasts that I have come across and which are adding to the growing support and inspiration around our connection with nature. So naturing our mind. I had to see if naturing was actually a word because you don't really hear it very often. But it seems that it is a word, and it is about being creative. And I like that, to focus on our potential and what is brilliant about us. Arguably, most of Western psychology is focused on what's wrong with us rather than what is inherently right and inspiring. And no wonder there's a stigma around mental health. Naturing our mind, for me, is to step into our adult responsibility to become all what we can, to love and look after ourselves, our mind, with so much out of our control, to focus in on what we can individually do, I think is empowering. And for me, when we're naturing our minds, we are doing that through reconnecting with the natural world. The larger mystery from which we are part, through naturing our mind, we fall back in love with nature and we care for it. We care for ourselves and wider nature and call on our governments and corporations to foster individual and collective well-being and to facilitate regenerative ways of living. We contribute to vitality and wholeness. 
So nurturing our mind is not just about our mental health, what nature can do for it, but one that is ultimately more intimate and expansive. From Bill Plotkin in Wild Mind, he wrote, If a majority of Westerners were to viscerally experience the sacred kinship they naturally have with all life, we'd see an abrupt collapse of the extractive, synthetic economy and imperial politics on which contemporary Western culture is built. Collectively, through naturing our mind, we can change or foster our relationship with nature to be a more balanced, respectful one. It is a political act because we amplify those voices, ways, systems and institutions which evoke our brilliance, serve the greater earth community and enhance life of all species. We create an earth democracy, as Vandava Shiva talks about. And you know, given how often I quote him, that I really appreciate the work of Charles Eisenstein. And I particularly love his podcast, a new and ancient story podcast. It's fascinating fodder for naturing the mind as a political act, as he talks about that transition from separation to interbeing. He talks of a transition from a relationship with Mother Earth to a relationship of Lover Earth, where we don't take, take, take the best we can, but where we understand we are here to give and take in harmonious measure. And like a lover, we create something together. I love the phrase that Jeannie Marie Haugen, who is also Bill Plotkin's partner, the term she uses, homo imagines. Our ability to imagine is what sets us apart from other beings, it seems. What can we imagine? What a beautiful relationship with ourselves, each other and the earth may be. What can we imagine? What naturing our mind may be and what it may result in. From what I have learned from my own experiences and from others, including the Earth Converse podcast contributors, naturing our mind may start with accepting our mind, our human nature as being part of nature. And then it involves us intentionally going out to wider nature to expose, immerse and educate our mind through nature connection. First, let's pause. If we're going to talk about our mind, let's stop for a moment. Take a breath. Settle in. How is your mind in this moment? Generally. Our mind, our beautiful mind, an incredible instrument, an incredible gift. And we can become a slave to it if we get too attached to it and what it produces. Any meditation teacher will tell you the same. 95% of our suffering is within our minds. And we all suffer, which I think also can be viewed as a spectrum, whether your lens is individual, familial, or societal. As a snapshot, our own family mourns the suicide of my second cousin, Blair, who took his life at the tender age of 21 in New Zealand. On this Good Friday. 
And as our dear mum, who has just celebrated her 80th, has Alzheimer's, and it is touching to see her navigate her way through it and adopt strategies to cope. I have spent the week on individual coaching calls with the team feeling the cumulative effects of COVID-19 restrictions on their well-being and performance. Then I think of the continued pain of Gaza. I think of the ongoing hidden destruction of our earth that we don't see and choose to ignore. And so may we increasingly commit to our mental health. And not only, but to our broader health and wholeness as wonderful human beings. May we be and always remain in awe of our own mystery and that of the universe. What we do for our mental health, well-being, wholeness and spirit, our soul, we do for others, our communities. And the earth and beyond. We know, even though we may not like it, that suffering can be a portal to true healing, wisdom and consciousness. That depression might be an indicator you are not living your own life. Arguably, many moods or behavioural patterns that some might label as dysfunctional are often actually appropriate or at least understandable reactions to a dysfunctional world. For example, climate anxiety seems quite a natural response in these times. For this, you may know the work of Force of Nature that is about raising awareness about eco-anxiety and empowers young people to turn their eco-anxiety into agency. I appreciated what Lucy Fawkes in The Guardian UK wrote about the public conversation as it stands around mental health. I think what she says is not just a confined to the UK that the system seems to be underserving people across the spectrum. Some people unnecessarily label themselves as disordered, which can make them feel worse, while others who are seriously unwell, like in the situation of Blair, are still not being heard. And I think it can be taken at a global level. The crying earth is seriously unwell and is still not being heard. When I try to make sense of it, I, th I think of this individual societal dance relationship that everybody's journey is their own and we are part of a bigger system. And in this respect, I think how meditation teacher Tara Brack says, we are not to blame. I think this is incredibly comforting and empowering. As she says, we are influenced by millions of years of conditioning we can't control the limbic brain. We can't control the trauma that comes in our lives that has been carried through generations. We find ourselves with beliefs and in systems of oppression that did not even start with us. We are exposed to pollutants and toxins that affect our nervous system in innumerable and unknowledgeable ways. All these factors play their part and how we, me, you, mum, Blair, how we are. And there is a pathway of responsibility and choice. And given that pain, now what? We ask ourselves, what can I do? How can I let go of condemnation, 
love myself deeply and engage with whatever arises within with awareness and compassion. So perhaps nurturing our mind starts with marvelling at it. I love how chemist and philosopher Carl Kalaman spoke on episode 7 of the Activating Consciousness podcast with Gary Turner. He said, from the Mayan calendar perspective, like over 5,000 years ago, people started to download a rational mind from the cosmos. Isn't that a beautiful thought? So accepting this mystery, its power, accepting that whatever our mind brings, it belongs. You may have heard the expression, this too. Anger, shame, joy, whatever comes into your mind. Learning to allow it to be there without judgment. This too belongs. Being able to recognize what is real and true in the present moment and embracing whatever arises with mindfulness and compassion. Tara Brach talks about this as radical acceptance. You know, we can view our thoughts and emotions like clouds. You know, they come, they go, they dissolve. Or observing them as waves. And we are the ocean, holding it all, open mind, open heart. You'll know from the podcast, particularly Poetry Episode 24, that I love Rumi, as many do. One of my favourites, embracing it all, letting it go, accepting poems is his poem, The Guest House. So inspired by that, and also Tara Brack's concept of radical acceptance, and meditation teacher John Kabat-Zinn's similar idea of putting out the welcome mat to whatever comes along, here's my poem about accepting. It's called Welcome. Come, come, you're invited. There's space for you all. From sadness to joy, none exempt from my call. You are all so welcome, those near and not met. Hate, love, ecstasy, anger, doubt and regret. Arrive how you so want, alone, side by side. Grief, despair and hope. Trust, jealousy, and pride. Travellers in this full life, you are connected. Everyone belongs. No one is rejected. The welcome mat is out. You will be met here, each presence greeted and gifts given to share. Come, please don't hold back. You each have a role in making me, me, and helping me feel whole. So from acceptance an opening comes. Is that your experience? Acceptance is not about accepting acts of violence, cruelty and justice, but holding them in compassionate awareness. To be able to really feel it and see what is underneath our own pain. And from that we can take the next conscious step. You know, this acceptance may come easily to some minds. It is both innate in us and can be further cultivated. 
And I think it's our responsibility to cultivate it. Indeed, many of the Earth Converse podcast contributors talked about meditation being at the core of connecting with nature through connecting with the mysterious nature of consciousness. This practice of cultivating presence and attention opens the path to understanding one's own inner nature and communion with all of nature. I love this from Gemma on episode 7. As children, we are able to, to feel this union with nature and with ourselves, like feeling at home with ourselves. But then, as we grow up, we, we forget about that. We cover it up. We, we have to pretend we have to become somebody else, you know. We have to do so many things to gain love, you know. Mm-hmm. All of the things come from. So mindfulness practices and meditation help us remember our connection with nature. We had a number of nature-based referenced meditations throughout the podcast. Gemma brought in nature to her meditation, as did Nando on episode 48. I loved how Maria on episode 39, talking about visualizing a long connection to the cosmos, and Miriam invited us into wholeness in her closing on episode 47. And Tara Brach, whose voice I bring in on episode 5, quotes Rumi too, for we are drunk or on the edge of the roof. An invitation to go beyond the intellectual understanding of suffering we are causing to the earth, to really feel it, to sit with it in this awareness. As she says, when we are in presence with the suffering of this earth, we feel others being present. We feel our tenderness and we start coming home to a feeling of really belonging. And then we can act from our hearts. So if naturing our mind begins from honouring our mind, accepting it, we can go further into naturing our mind by immersing ourselves in wider nature. So many contributors, and I think this will be true for so many of you as listeners, that as children, we're always outside. Only as adults, we consciously go out for our well-being. Again, Bill Plotkin's writings, this time in Nature and the Human Soul, he says, of all the things we can and must do to create a healthier society, perhaps the easiest and most available step, even in the city, is to reintroduce children and teens and adults too to the natural world. I am imagining some people listening to the podcast have nature as one of their mental health or well-being strategies. I think increasingly people are reconnecting, reminding themselves of nature's healing balm. There's increasing research confirming how intuitively we turn to nature for our well-being and the benefits of doing so. As I explicitly explored on episode 25, Nature can be the ultimate reset button. To spend more time with nature, and particularly wider nature, is deeply restorative. You might recall that contemplating nature at home or the effects of just looking at nature has a resetting effect. I just saw the recently released Love Thy Nature documentary narrated by Liam Nielsen about 
reconnecting with nature. And it echoes the view that a renewed connection with nature is key both to our health and the health of our planet. I liked how they said after 9-11, there were record numbers of people going to Central Park in New York. And we see why. We intuitively go out to nature for our healing. Check it out. It's a lovely reminder of the human story, our relationship with nature, and the ways we can enter into partnership with it. You may also want to tap into new podcasts like Unfurling. This is a resource-rich exploration of how nature explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. And Seedcast, which is about nurturing and rooting stories of the indigenous experience. For I think nurturing our mind is about experimenting with and learning about the various ways we can do exactly that nature our mind. You know, I think it's about expanding our understanding, exploring our biases and beliefs, our preferences, opening up as humans on this earth and imagining what is possible. And I've quoted this Mary Oliver line a lot, I know, but all we have to do is pay attention. And I'm grateful for my mum in teaching me this, of pausing and noticing the beauty of the world around. Which brings me to a lovely thing Emily said on episode 46. When I'm walking in nature, I consciously lower my consciousness to my heart from my head. I have to because I'm very much often mostly in my head. I connect personally with nature, mostly by appreciating it. Some of you would have come across Zach Bush. As he says on his Instagram profile, a physician applying the rigour of science, the strength of humanity and the intelligence of nature to transform our world. He has this tagline, breathe your biome. And like what we're doing here on Earth Converse, encouraging everyone to share their experiences communing in nature. A biome is a type of environment that is defined by the types of organisms that live there. And I think in naturing our mind, we forge intimate, respectful relationships with nature in the local environment. Every podcast contributor would talk about their biome. Different environments, whether it was Thurston in the sea, Petra in the desert, Emerald near a river, Jonathan in wild remote places... Malou, Tess and Lily up the hill, or Lily just with her spider plant. And as Chris Packham wrote in his book Back to Nature, a book really capturing the back to nature trend during COVID, he quoted William Blake's Algories of Innocence, the opening stanza, as being his approach to connecting with nature. Here it is. To see a world in grain of sand and a heaven in a wild flower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. As he writes, he didn't have to be anywhere exotic to access the purest exaltation that the natural world has to offer. I just needed to sit in my garden for an hour with a handful of dirt and a dandelion. So, yeah, 
which takes me to this embodied experience. For me, naturing our mind is that embodied experience. It's not an intellectual exercise. We feel it in every fibre of our body. This is a big theme on the podcast. Petra touchingly talked about touch in these COVID-19 restrictive times and finding new ways to touch and be touched through the feel of the breeze, the hug of a tree. I'm enjoying reading Cuentas para niños que suenan con cambiar al mundo. Stories for children that dream to change the world by G.L. Marvel. One story is about Arctic explorer Roald Amundsen. How as a child he intentionally slept with the window open to get accustomed to the cold. Which is something given that he lived in Norway. As Christiane on episode 10 talked about. The easiest entry to connect with nature is through connecting with ourself. In a nature-based sort of framework term, that is our childness. That is our our childhood wonder, our innocence. The child that wants to take off, take part, be curious and sensual. To be open to what is. To not see risk, but to see the growing ability to do something. And Miriam on episode 47 encourages us to get into our bodies, integrate our yin and yang, honour the wildness as wholeness. And I'm sure naturing our mind involves cultivating this awe, reverence, gratitude and appreciation for nature and our own nature in our daily lives. I loved when Gemma on episode 7 talked about small gestures connect us to the sacred. Or even when Catherine on episode 9 simply talked about contemplating and blessing the source of our water in our daily shower. Mentioning Charles Eisenstein again, in his most recent book, Climate, A New Story, he quotes poet David White recounting a visit with a Scottish fisherman on a remote island who lived the traditional ways. This man, as Charles writes, He said a prayer for every significant act of the day. A prayer for getting out of bed. A prayer for drawing the curtains. A prayer for breaking bread. A prayer for getting into his boat. A prayer for casting the net. As Charles wrote, His was a world thick with being. Something is always watching, always listening. He was never alone because the whole world was alive. As Charles offers, we can't force other beings of this world to reveal themselves in their beingness, but we can ask them. The way to ask is to give attention to your longing, your longing to rejoin the living universe. I'm pretty sure the fisherman is the old man David referred to in his beautiful poem, True love, if you know it. And on the Earth Converse podcast, here is Jim on episode 21 talking about the practice of gratitude. The idea with gratitudes for me that I feel is super helpful for others, especially in this time, is if I can name um, something that uh, brought some joy or brought, brought some levity, brought me alive you know, today, if I can remember that and name it, then I can be in connection with it again. 
And in doing that, in that simple moment, I'm also reconnecting with what I'm for, you know, what, what is actually something that is of alignment, you know, for me. And to have those doses on a regular basis helps to kind of fuel me. You know, it's a, it's, I feel like it's a helpful um, recovery move for a lot of what's super challenging, you know, in our times right now and be an affirmation of I'm still alive and there's a lot to enjoy and to appreciate, you know, that can then bring the best of me into whatever's ahead for the rest of the day. Every moment, every phase, every part of our life is available for naturing our mind. Sophia on episode 35 beautifully offers a way for women to change their relationship with their menstrual pain through observing the cycles of the moon. Emerald from episode 4 she invites us to take a walk on the land as often as we can. And she loves art and gardening. Suzanne, in episode 31, suggests ways we can make responsible choices, including permacultural practices, something Corey from episode 27 is also passionate about. Pauline, on episode 37, spoke of the system of natural life and her food choices, nature giving us a clue of what to expect the spiky sugar cane, or the languishing maple. David on episode 26 and Luigi on episode 34 talk about their regenerative agricultural practices. As Lorraine said on episode 30, if I have a question about life, I go and ask a farmer. And naturing our mind is, is seeing how nature is that creative hub, that co-working space, that home of belonging and creativity. And of course, nature as a learning leadership space, stakeholder source guide is the essence of the vision quest, the rites of passage, the pilgrimage offerings, and all the programs that are mentioned by the various contributors and are part of our core offering at Earth Converse. On reflection, talking about where her great ideas came from, visionary leader, founder of Common Purpose and woman emerging from isolation, Julia, realised on episode 33 that it was always when she was relaxed in the water. Luigi, on episode 34, said he would go solo once or twice a year to disconnect from everything and from everyone and to reconnect or reconsider what he's doing. I loved how Catherine, on episode 9, talked about nature as a dream space. Here on episode 42, chemistry industry leader Jean-Claude Pierre talked about his time in nature is imperative for his clarity and decision-making. Here he is talking about his experience. A friend of mine where actually we have turned around a business where all the thinking, all the key decisions, we talked for walks. And nature in mind is also about relationships and how we can cultivate them in the presence of nature. It includes bringing in nature and how you and your friends and families enjoy time together. With COVID-19 quarantine, I think increasingly the social thing is a walk in nature together at the beach at the park. I loved how Linda on episode 20 talked of passing on her love of the outdoors to her boys. I mean, the research tells us that parents or guardians' connection with nature you know, influences impact their child's future connection. Jeannie on episode 19 talked about nature as a co-regulator and all the transpersonal resources available to support couples. As she said, nature is the untapped secret of the relationship world. What would happen if, if 
we as individuals, couples, family, societies really tapped into that. I mean, naturing our mind is intentionally widening our definition of community and being in ceremony with it. You know, naturing our mind is embracing the more than human world, as cultural ecologist David Abram termed it. You know, a world that includes human society as a subset of a much more extensive earth community. And I've used this quote uh, from Emerald about calling to the land. Here she goes again. I even call all angels, and when I do, I am in my mind anything I can imagine, and then I call everything I can't imagine. Known and unknown, felt and unfelt, seen and unseen, anything that's there. Hey, help! Catherine, a community creator on episode 9, talked of how she organizes communal gatherings and connects the community and co-creates with nature. In episode 36, I talked about ceremony, the importance of doing that as a collective, but also how we can do it as individuals, those self-generated ceremonies. Naturing our mind is about the individual and the collective, the collective and the individual. Naturing our mind is seeing social justice as environmental justice. Here is Roy on episode eight. The more equal we are as a society, then I think we can help more people have lives that are more in tune with what they would want to do um, from a purpose point of view. And on this theme, as mentioned at various points on the podcast, the Intersectional Environmentalist website is an incredible resource hub on intersectional environmentalism, advocating for both the protection of people and the planet, and identifying ways in which injustices happening to marginalised communities and the earth are interconnected. And they also started a podcast which is called Dismantled, so you might want to tune in there. And of course, naturing our mind is seeing nature as our mirror and as a meaning maker. As Thurston said simply on episode 16, the encounters we can have with wildlife, and I would say any life, you know, they can just seem like great things, you know, beautiful, special, sweet, or they can take on meaning. And depending on where we are in life, they can have profound meaning for us. You know, this is what we talked about straight on from episode one, and it has been a continuing thread in how we converse with the earth. You know, which brings up the theme again of paying attention. You know, to engage with nature in this way, I do think naturing our mind largely is about being solo in nature. As Martina said on episode 49, we can have beautiful times with friends and nature and family, but the real nature connection happens when we are in solitude. Is that your experience? Going back to mental health, you know, some, some would say that people suffering from mental health shouldn't be alone. There may be some situations where this would be true, but on the whole... I would suggest that to go out to nature always brings gifts. To go out alone is to find out that you're not. To be reminded of your connection. To be in the presence of other beings and non-beings. As we talked about on episode 18 of the podcast on going solo in nature, yes, there is a physical and psychological safety element that has to be considered and respected and managed when we go out to wider nature. 
but we can also take it by a step-by-step process, gradually going from the safety of your home to wider and wilder nature. For, you know, when we're in solitude, we can drop down into a deeper attention and listening. We become that deep listener ourselves through experiencing being deeply listened by nature. Here's a lovely listening story from a recent experience with a leader. You know, she was not feeling listened to by her inner circle. You know, she wanted to tell a story about her own pain, a story that needed to be heard about attempting to commit suicide when she was a teenager, something she had wrapped up for 30 years. Beyond the psychotherapy she was engaged in, she wanted to speak about it to her dear friends. Yet when she did, she was left with this sense of emptiness and questioning herself. Was I just attention-seeking in telling it? Am I justifying my behaviour through this wound? I suggested she take it to the land, go out on your own and tell it to wider nature. Tell it the way you want. Don't hold back. If you think you're finished, stay a little longer to see if it's all out. And then, if you feel like it, come back and tell the story to me and I can mirror it back. And so she went out and she returned, having gone to look out to sea. I can't believe what a good listener nature is, she said to me. And I asked her, if she wanted to tell me her story. And she said, no, I feel like it has been heard. And I love that, that in feeling deeply listened to by nature in all its purity, without judgment, being fully accepted and supported, a healing had taken place. Something has been laid to rest. Nature is that deep listener. And we can do that for her. And I hope you've benefited from many gems on the Earth Converse podcast about relating to nature in this deeper way. Diana, on episode 12, talked about starting with stopping, pausing, and listening deeply. Emma on episode 38 talked of earth journaling. Calvin on episode 22 had deep questions, as did David on episode 26. Maria on 39, and the list goes on. And this is Scott talking about accessing our ancestors on episode 17. We talk about suspending disbelief and the way of entering into a ceremonial space that isn't intellectual and mental so much but it is making room for ancestors to show up and for them to speak so it is it's been kind of really kind of removing some of the roadblocks that we put in place that says this is this is not real you know i really believe naturing our mind is this open-heartedness this open-mindedness it is allowing our mind to relax and let in the senses to access different ways of knowing you know, Ray on episode 29 talked of different realities through hallucinogenics and dream work. 
Emma on episode 38 talked of different ways of knowing, and Emily on episode 46 spoke of intuition. Lorraine on episode 30 talked about a systemic perspective, and Bill poetically inviting us to be that poem on episode 40. We have to wander off into the world to find the poem that we are, as if it's some strands of beautiful verse that are lying, uh, that are draped over a branch in a tree in a forest somewhere, <laughs> or, or is bubbling up from a, a spring, a wellspring in the ground. Um, it's just, it's out there waiting for us. Mm-hmm. And if we wander with enough uh, intuition and sensitivity, we'll, we'll find ourselves uh, standing with that mystery and a mystery that has our name on it literally and but it's not our the name our parents gave us deepening deepening naturing our mind is our creative engagement with death and this particularly from our beloved ray this time on episode 14 often we go out to nature for beauty but deep down we're seeking more to explore our shadow our relationship with the inevitable that of our own death. If people really want to experience the wilderness fully, they must experience the dark side of it as well. And so I love that it, um, in the retreat, very often when people come back in from their fast, they'll come in with a bone, you know, that they found out there, or a skull, or a hip bone, or something that uh, very clearly talks about the presence of death. Um, and, and I love that that really moves people. And, and they often take those home yes. to to remind them of the presence of death. Mm. And it's not a bad thing. I've got These the bone could... from, my, from your ranch <laughs> ah. <laughs> over there. <laughs> yeah. So there's something... When people get so um, yes. connected to, to these signs of death, it shows how important it is. Mm. to, And that's part of why people go out into nature, although they don't know it. You know, when they first go into nature, they're, they they love the nourishment, the feeling of beauty. And to feel nourished by a skull is stretched. And Corey knows this deeply. And she spoke on episode 27 when her young son, seeing a dead bird, not brushing over it, but really using that opportunity to pause, to talk about it. Calvin, on episode 22, transformed the pain of his father's death into a mission. And Nando, on episode 48, did so with the death of his mother. In fact, death is a big theme on the podcast. And I really do hope that it has been informative or thought-provoking or helpful for you. As I quoted in episode 3 about the Planet of the Humans documentary, I really appreciated the conversation about, you know, where they said, what I'm hearing is that if I haven't come to grips with my own anxiety about death and life and presented with a reminder of that, yeah, I'm likely to make some tragic decisions for the community. You know, this was the premise of the Living and Dying course that I went on and where I met a number of the contributors from the podcast. It was the program Meredith Little, who together with her husband founded the School of Lost Borders. You will love also their writings and be touched by her book, The School of Lost Borders, a love story. 
Meredith has it as her mission to inspire us into living and dying consciously, to help break the silence and restore dying to its natural place in the cycles of life. For me, the program is multidimensional, but to give you a feel, here are three of its offerings. Preparing for our own physical death, supporting someone dying or grieving a death, and thirdly, symbolically dying. So just touch on these. You know, preparing for our own physical death, you know, to have a perspective of how we would like to die, acknowledging it may not necessarily go to plan, is empowering and liberating. You know, to reflect in advance of that generally unpredictable event is a gift to our own life and transition. We can do as much as we can so as not to add to the grief and burden of those we leave behind. You know, this is a true act of kindness. You know, it gives us time to reflect about the conversations we need to have now you know, to do our forgiveness work, to make peace with our lives. We can think about the legacy we want to leave as an ancestor of the future. You know, we can make a will. And secondly, supporting someone dying or grieving a death. I mean, how many people around us in our friendship circles, at work, in our community, are grieving the loss of a loved one? Or they themselves are dying or are paralysed in the fear, the thought of it. You know, to what extent are we mindful of their experience? How do we meet them where they are? Are we really turning up for them? You know, sometimes it may be asking the simple and profound question, what do you need? And listening deeply to that answer. And thirdly, you know, the program's really profound and around symbolically dying. You know, every day initiates us into living and dying consciously, for we are in constant change. If we are aware, we can symbolically renew our relationship with life and death and endings and beginnings within ourselves at any time. You know, it's these little deaths and various rebirths we can take to call in the life we really want. In doing so, we prepare ourselves for the final transition, the big death that awaits us all. So that's certainly not the end of the exploration into naturing our mind as a political act. In fact, it's only just the beginning. And just to summarise what we've touched on, that acceptance of our natural mind and intentionally, lovingly educating, immersing ourselves in nature from daily life to wider, wilder experiences. It's about paying attention, being grateful it being a felt experience, not an intellectual one, you know, where we're integrating nature in our daily life and our relationships, where we're widening our sense of community and nature being that ultimate listener guide source, that invitation and being inspiration for how to live and die well. You will have and you will find your own paths for naturing your mind. And may you share them so we can learn from each other. And we'll circle back to the mental health, but in this context of naturing our mind as a political act, finishing with the words of an inspirational source in this respect, Bill Plotkin's Wild Mind. He writes, And the key to reclaiming 
our original wholeness is not merely to suppress psychological symptoms, recover from addictions and trauma, manage stress or refurbish dysfunctional relationships, but rather to fully flesh out our multifaceted, wild psyches, committing ourselves to the largest story we're capable of living, serving something bigger than ourselves. We must dare again to dream the impossible and to romance the world, to feel and honour our kinship with all species and habitats, to embrace the troubling wisdom of paradox and to shape ourselves into visionaries with the artistry to revitalise our enhanced and endangered world. That, my friends, is a political act. So we'll put a sacred pause here, for this marks an end of this part, let's call it a season, of the Earth Converse podcast. There are so many stories to tell, everyone's got one. And may they be told and heard in one form or another. The purpose of the podcast, as you know, is to stimulate those stories, to inspire a deeper connection with ourselves, each other, and the earth that is our home. And I hope it's done that for you and continues to do that. For those new here, may this episode inspire you to tune in to previous episodes. For existing listeners, may it inspire you to re-listen and deepen the experience. For you all, I'd love to get your feedback and for you to water the seeds, leave a review so others can find it, share the podcast and learnings with others. I will be deepening this concept of naturing our mind as a political act. As a little starter, head over to the Earth Converse Instagram account and we will have a 14-day Insta immersion on the topic. I will also be deepening my connection locally here in Mallorca. So the Earth Converse podcast will transform. Whatever happens, in the meantime, go out and enjoy Earth, one conversation at a time. And thank you from the bottom of my heart.